0: Our Interim Minister, Yadni, and I are sharing the pulpit today. We want to explore with you what we both bring to honoring the work of Dr. Martin Luther King. In particular, we want to look at an idea King held up as central to his mission. We've already mentioned beloved community. So I was in first grade when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I can remember hearing the news and the adults being different and seeing bits of, of uh, the news at school on a black and white tiny TV that someone rolled into our classroom at Barnard Elementary. I was in eighth grade when King was assassinated in 1968. I have no memories, seven years later, of where I was when I heard King was killed. And I can excuse this gap by explaining I am more interested in my eighth-grade boyfriend or trying to fit into the various clicks, than a historic tragedy. Or I can point out my family is not one to discuss politics around the dining room table or to encourage reading the newspaper. King's death likely is not mentioned or explored in depth in my home. But a deeper truth to not having a memory is I grew up in midtown Tulsa an effectively segregated community due to a confluence of economics city planning lending practices and social norms I am socialized by the roles in that community people of color work in this part of town but never live there Laborers, maids, gardeners, repairmen, they're there, but then they go home. I did not question my reality at the time. And I'll state the obvious. These economic and racial disparities are not part of beloved community. So I go to a private school in the neighborhood, Holland Hall, I can walk there. It, too, is all white, except for janitors and kitchen workers. Diversity there is defined in religious terms. The school sees itself as progressive because many Jewish students attend. We're not reading literature or history suggesting how we live might be incomplete. I'm assigned Alexis de Tocqueville, the French sociologist. We're discussing democracy in America as an enlightened response to European monarchies. We're not closely examining the racial and gender biases built into our democracy. We are blind to how beloved community is far removed from our country's founding. So in the tapestry of our nation's history we're not looking closely at the full warp and woof holding the gold threads in place and allowing only them to shine the school's administration is just beginning to think about enrolling a black student it is also beginning to think about moving to South Tulsa in 1968, Tulsa public schools are still segregated. Already 14 years have passed since the 1954 Supreme Court decision of Brown versus Board of Education declaring separate schools are inherently unequal. Tulsa is dragging its feet. Our city as a whole is not in any rush to follow the law. This communal reluctance only changes after the U.S. Attorney General Ramsey Clark sues the Tulsa Public School District for failing to desegregate. Failing to educate all is not beloved community. I attend St. John's Episcopal Church. Again, an all-white institution. While the phrase has deep religious underpinnings, beloved community, it is not being preached or taught in my religious institution. In other words, I bring both a personal and a civic history that was disinterested in the tragically short life of Dr. Martin Luther King. I didn't know any better then. I hope I do now. I'm not talking about white guilt here, but about human and cultural maturation. I hope. To make up for the lost time, I read King's writings, biographies, listen to sermons. But most importantly, I take steps, sometimes baby steps, to dismantle the segregation in my personal life. And it is still there. And I take baby steps to help my city dismantle the segregation that is still there. It still has a powerful hold. Today and tomorrow I join my city's efforts to reclaim King's wisdom and celebrate his teachings. And I often wonder what would what he would have gone on to do had he not been shot. How would he have continued to organize? Where would he have led our country? How would we be different? Of course, his closest colleagues and millions of followers have never stopped working for the ideals he represented. His deaths actually amplifies his message, that tragic silver lining to martyrdom. His work lives on on all who continue to understand what it means to create and embody beloved community. A present-day creation of King's beloved community comes from the man King nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. The Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh, or Tay, for short, meaning teacher, is alive and in his 90s, and he carries on King's ideals around the world. So next to the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh is probably the most respected Buddhist master in the world today. Born in central Vietnam in 1926, Tay is ordained as a Buddhist priest at the age of 16. In 1961, he comes to the United States to study, and teach comparative literature at Columbia and Princeton. But by 1963, colleagues in Vietnam invite him to come home to work, to join them in their work to stop the U.S.-Vietnam War. So upon returning home, Tay founds the School of Youth for Social Service. The American press likens it to the Peace Corps, because it involves sending teams of young people out into the countryside to establish schools and health clinics. And then later, they help rebuild bombed villages. Tay does not have the language of beloved community yet. Instead, like King, he's influenced by Gandhi. That's the source of what he's doing, and of course, his Buddhist background. In fact, Tay founds one of the great nonviolent resistance movements based on Gandhian principles, the Tiep Hien Order. In Tay's words, it aims to respond to the burgeoning hatred, intolerance, and suffering forged in the crucible of war and devastation that is the daily experience of the Vietnamese people. The Pen order, Struggle for Peace, involves maintaining the strictest neutrality, which means not taking sides, whether either the communists or non-communists. And this commitment to non-violence and moral clarity leaves both sides annoyed and many times furious. According to Tay, the Vietnamese people feel they've been Effectively excluded from determining their country's future. And this exclusion mirrors the same struggles in the US for all voices to be heard and all people respected in our democracy. So, two visionaries are building beloved community on opposite sides of the world. When Tay writes a letter to King, dated June 1st, 1965, he writes to explain why many of the Buddhist monks were setting themselves on fire in protest to the war. On the surface, the act seems opposite of all nonviolent principles. I'll let Yadni quote from that letter. But the effect of the letter is to broaden King's view of resistance, sacrifice and of beloved community in the United States. The two meet, exchange ideas, they're both transformed by their exchanges. King feels the imperative to begin speaking out against America's involvement in Vietnam. Our involvements in Vietnam are not shining gold threads of freedom and democracy. They are brutal use of funds and lives threaded through every aspect of the country at the time. In the last year of King's life, he is shunned and rebuked for including anti-war messages, and his assassination cuts short his expanded view of beloved community except Tay is alive. While living in exile, he's been building monasteries around the world that embody and teach the tools for cultivating beloved community. The closest one is in Mississippi, five hours from here. It's called Magnolia Grove, and it's where this statue of the two men is part of their peace walk and garden garden. I went on a retreat there this summer and Yadni has been there twice. Your minister's a little jealous. I wanted to experience a community committed to maintaining a beloved community. What is it? Walking, eating, sleeping, playing, talking, washing, gardening, studying, and even avoiding beloved community. What does that look like? I stopped for five days driving home from our General Assembly and the phrase beloved community is revered and a living ideal. Here's how Tay describes that monastery's focus. If love is there in the community, if we've been nourished by the harmony of community, then we will never move away from love. The reason we might lose this is because we're always looking outside of us thinking that the object or action of love is out there. That's why we allow the love, the harmony, the mature understanding to slip away from ourselves. This is, I think, the basic thing. That is why we have to go back to our community and renew it. Then love will grow back. Understanding and harmony will grow back. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we ourselves need love. It's not only society, the world outside, that needs love, but we can't expect that love to come from outside of us. We should ask the question whether we are capable of loving ourselves as well as others. Are we treating our body kindly by the way we eat, by the way we drink, by the way we work? Are we treating ourselves with enough joy and tenderness and peace? Or are we feeding ourselves with toxins that we get from the market, the spiritual, intellectual and entertainment market? So, the question is whether we are practicing loving ourselves, because loving ourselves means loving our community. End quote of Tay's words. Beloved community means this dual command of loving ourselves and loving our community. Our smallest daily actions must be congruent, in line with our largest gestures. Beloved community starts within ourselves and then informs our lives. Every day I make a list of how I want to minister here. I always commit myself to two things. I come to work aspiring to find the joy and to do so with integrity. I want all of the threads of our tapestry to be strong and unfrayed and all made of precious metal. because loving ourselves means loving community. I invite each one of you and your families to break through our cities, long-lived geographic segregation Join me at the interfaith service tonight at Boston Avenue. It's always a powerful event. Six o'clock. Then come tomorrow morning and march with hope. And it's always cold, but it's not the coldest it's been. I've marched when it was five degrees, so tomorrow's going to be balmy. Yeah. (laughs) Church and Hunt, you know, um, if you come march with us, the the parade here is actually one of the largest in the United States. And over 200 companies and churches and uh, nonprofits march. So you don't want to miss it. And it is, for me, a very concrete way to keep learning and maturing and to break through my upbringing. So I step back to allow Yadni to bring herself and thoughts. Thank you.
1: My journey to King's beloved community really kicked off in my mid to late teens when I read literary foremothers, Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou, and later legend James Baldwin. Up until that point, I lacked language to explain the societal hauntings of race I felt and I lived, but I couldn't name. Reading The Bluest Eye, beloved Maya Angelou's many biographies, Baldwin's writings and watching him pontificate and mystify in interviews from 50 years ago, I suddenly felt I was part of something. I saw that my internal and external oppression of wanting different skin or hair, feeling embarrassed to be the only black girl in elementary school until the fourth grade, and experiencing the overwhelming shame that racism puts wrongly onto so many. In this, I was not alone. And in those tender adolescent years, and really for all of us, knowing one isn't alone is powerful in and of itself. Angelou, Morrison, and Baldwin bridged me to the black experience of race and to the fight for freedom by letting me know my experience perhaps was invisible, but was traceable. It just leaves evidence and a trail we aren't often trained to look for. Oppression leaves the sting of isolation, the crushing weight of never being enough, and the brainwashing mess of internalized oppression. It makes the marginalized shortchange short themselves employ false humility to stifle our true power, our right to take up space, and to be heard. Oppression leads one's soul into panic, anxiety, hopelessness, and other spirit-suffocating slow deaths. King said it clearly. Quote, the way of acquiescence leads to moral and spiritual suicide. The way of violence leads to bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers." End quote. It's a recipe for a community in pain and suffering. I began to see myself and my immigrant family and my community and the world with different eyes. I looked now for the clues of oppression and I saw them throughout and among all corners of society. I saw the pain in my neighbor's eyes because I was able to recognize it from my own and know that it was an effect of what we were all living in, the society we had created. I empathized with our human experience. Our ancestors made the cake, and boy, are we eating it. But what I won't abide by is the tradition of reusing the recipe and expecting different results. I want to learn the ways to heal both myself and a nation. I found timeless and profound wisdom in the same writers from before. I began to listen to full sermons and speeches by King and read Tay's books. Tay's message has remained potent and moving for well over 50 years. This is an excerpt of Tay's letter to Martin Luther King from 1965. Quote, I believe with all my heart that the monks who burned themselves did not aim at the death of their oppressor, but only at a change in their policy. Their enemies are not man. They are intolerance, fanaticism, dictatorship, cupidity, hatred, and discrimination, which lie within the heart of man. I also believe with all my being that the struggle for equality and freedom you lead in Birmingham, Alabama is not aimed at the whites, but only at intolerance, hatred, and discrimination. These are real enemies of man, not man himself. In our unfortunate fatherland, we are trying to yield desperately. Do not kill man, even in man's name. Please kill the real enemy of man, which are present everywhere in our very hearts and our minds the real enemies of humanity. I look around and I see that we all, we all suffer from oppression, from bigotry, from prejudice and hatred. We all lose, even those who look like they're on top. Well, there's moral and spiritual suicide. There's bitterness and brutality. We see that across party lines, there is suffering. And I must remind myself when I forget that my enemy is never the human. It isn't a president, a protester, a pastor. It isn't a relative or a rogue Facebook friend commenting on my status. No, they are at most the vessel for something greater that has seeds in me, in us all. I don't know if you've heard this often frustrating retort from a smug professional or perhaps a sibling, don't hate me, I'm just a messenger. Well, they're kind of right. It's not the messenger, it's the message. The message of hate, of division, of scarcity and fear, that is the enemy. And that message is in me too. And if unchecked, if unloved, if unquestioned, it can rule my thoughts, my words, and my actions as well. The enemy is in me and my work towards healing myself, and the path is the path to healing the world. And that how we seek healing is the healing. We can't expect a path which is aimed at healing or peace to add chaos and pain or injury along the way. Nonviolence is the active choice to revoke tools of oppression as the means to healing freedom, peace, and beloved community. Nonviolence is brave enough to live in a way that calls us all higher, even when the backlash of oppression demands one to submit and play their part, either oppressor or oppressed, in this sick game. MLK said in his letter from Birmingham jail, quote, over the past few years, I have consistently preached that nonviolence demands that the means we use must be as pure as the ends we seek." End quote. Perhaps you are thinking, well, how can I conceptualize nonviolence in a way that can be applied in any situation? Well, luckily, there is a list. And we are now going to read the six six principles of nonviolence, the means, the how, to beloved community. You can find them in your orders of service and follow along. Kathy and I will be reading. I will begin with principle one. Nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. It is active nonviolence resistance to evil. It is aggressive spiritually, mentally, and emotionally.
0: Principle two. Nonviolence seeks to win friendship and understanding. The end result of nonviolence is redemption and reconciliation. The purpose of nonviolence is the creation of the
1: beloved community. Principle three: nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice, not people. Nonviolence recognizes that evildoers are also victims and are not evil people. The nonviolent resistor seeks to defeat evil, not people.
0: Take a deep breath. It's a lot to absorb there. Principle four, nonviolence holds that suffering can educate and transform. Nonviolence accepts suffering without retaliation. Unearned suffering is redemptive and has tremendous educational and transforming possibilities.
1: Principle five. Nonviolence chooses love instead of hate. Nonviolence resists violence of the spirit as well as the body. Nonviolent love is spontaneous, unmotivated, unselfish, and creative. Principle six,
0: you universalists out there, nonviolence believes that the universe is on the side of justice. The nonviolent resistor has deep faith, That justice will eventually win. Nonviolence believes that God, or whatever you hold most dear, is a God of justice.
1: My response to MLK's words, writings, and actions, to Tay's life or service of service and practice, is to join the ranks. It moves me to action, to service to do the sacred work of participating in and building beloved community here and now. I ask you, are you one of the courageous, one of the daring, the one that fails but tries again, and that in a world of hopelessness chooses love, in the face of hate remembers truth, and in the struggle for freedom knows their inherent worth, one that lives and eventually will die in the nonviolence and compassionate way that forges a path for self for community towards reconciliation redemption and beloved community
0: lovely part of beloved community is we collect funds like all churches.